0: Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. I'm gonna be spending a whole hour with you. If somebody could type in yes to the fact that you can hear me, that would be great. And start typing your questions into the chat. That would be great as well. Just to be clear, what we're talking about today is licensing, which means renting or leasing your product to a company for a royalty, that usually get paid quarterly, and they're going to utilize their money. So you need to raise money you know, to license a product. You don't need to hire employees and you don't need distribution because that big company that has distribution and retailers, they have the money, they have the workforce and they have the existing distribution. So what you're doing is tapping into these really large companies. It could be medium sized or smaller companies too that already have everything in place because to be honest, retailers don't really want to talk to one ski, one product companies. For those of you that are thinking about selling the product yourself and reaching out, um, retailers are very hesitant that you're going to deliver on time that you have enough money and cash flow to make it happen. And they're just worried you're going to do everything wrong. And plus, imagine as a random example, um, let's say you're the buyer, one of the buyers at Bed Bath & Beyond, and every single product, I have no idea how many products they have, let's say they got 60,000 products, I have no idea. But Um, If every single product had a different vendor, they want to shoot themselves in the head. You know, it's just, it'd be ridiculous. So they like to deal with these big companies that you can license to, and maybe they have 10 products in their store, five products in the store. But if every different product had a different company and salesperson or manufacturer's rep they need to deal with, that's not really very doable. So those are some of the reasons hey, there's nothing wrong with making a product and selling it yourself, but you gotta know what you're getting yourself into. And I don't find most inventors really wanna do that when we break it down for the differences between licensing and venturing. So here at right. what we've been doing for 21 years is coaching and mentoring people to license their products for royalties. So you get a small royalty per unit. And you know if they're selling a lot of units, it could really add up over time. We don't preach the thought that you're going to make a million dollars overnight with one product. Yes, there's products you can do very well and you might make a million dollars or more on it over time, but to think that you're going to earn that overnight or to think that you're not going to work on licensing other products as well is kind of is kind of um uh not very long-term thinking. You're just looking at what's right in front of you. Now, with that said, I always say, you know, you can have delusions of grandeur, I joke about this, when you're licensing and you're not delusional. So it depends on the product, but for certain companies selling 20,000, 50,000, half a million units a year, it depends on the product, of course, right? The 99 cent product, $600 product. But for these big companies that you license to, that's like the norm for them. But for you to start manufacturing your product and sell a million units, when you have no distribution, you don't, you're not properly funded, you don't have a workforce, you don't have any of that is kind of unrealistic. It's going to take you years and years and years to build that up and a ton of money, but it's not delusional for a big company to do that. So when you license to them and you're getting a small royalty in every unit, it can really add up to a decent amount of money. But Stephen and myself, we're the co-founders here at EventRight. We do not preach uh, get rich quick. Um, you, You have to be dedicated to learning this skill. And we coach and mentor you and guide you to learning these skills and guide you through it. And we have uh, coaches that tell our students exactly what to do. Oh, you got this product. This would be the right next thing to do because of this. Oh, they said that? Oh, okay, well, I would say this back on an email. That's what we're doing for our students. That's why you see our students licensing stuff all the time. So let's just jump in, do some Q&A. Before I do that, just wanna make it clear that anything you disclose tonight Um, should not be, should be publicly available. Don't disclose anything private about your invention and realize that I'm not providing legal advice. Please seek the service of an attorney for any sort of legal advice. Um, So uh, Deidre wrote, company has sent me a list of 15 potential companies to manufacture my product. They say it has launched. What does it mean when a product has launched? I don't know, Deidre. I don't know. I think you're working with some invention promotion type company. So, I can't comment on how they work. Um, so I, I don't know what that means, what they mean by that. I have no idea. But um, what we do here at EventWrite is we empower our students to go direct to potential licensees to license their products. So that yeah, OK, some people typed in yes. I want to make sure I was talking this whole time and you guys weren't hearing me. Um, so when you're licensing, we we guide our students to reach out to marketing managers. Usually, it's a marketing manager. It could be a smaller company's CEO. It could be somebody else in the company too. Um, to reach out to companies to license their product and you use utilize that doing email, LinkedIn, and the phone, and using different techniques that we guide our students to do. We give our students templates on what to send and stuff, and um, That's how you license the product. If you're expecting a company to do it for you, I've never personally met an inventor in 21 years that had an invention promotion company license the product for them. Our students are licensing stuff all the time. So you might say, well, why is that? Well, our students are actually reaching out to companies. And I don't know if these invention promotion companies actually do that. So um, let's see. Jennifer said, wow, this is a long multi-part here. But I'll read it. Hi Andrew, happy New Year! I uh, hope twenty twenty two is your best year yet. Yes, I think we all hope it's better than the past two years as far as just the craziness goes. As far as our students' licensing, twenty twenty one was a great year. We had all sorts of students' licensing products, but you know, you got all the COVID craziness and all that stuff, you know, and just it's been it's been a trying couple of years, hasn't it? Um, Thank you for all that you do and the way that InventRight helps so many people. I'm excited to ask my question tonight. Great. Um, a big toy company has reviewed an initial toy concept sell sheet and virtual prototype. They watched our pitch video um, a bunch of times and, is, and have requested a working prototype to bring to them. Okay. So they watched your pitch video a bunch of times. All right. I don't have the engineering skills to make a working prototype at this stage. Would it, Would it? Would you hire a product design company to produce a professional working model. The cost is high and I have more toys to pitch to that company. So Jennifer, what I'm going to advise you to do, you said they watched your um, concept sell sheet video, your pitch video uh, a couple of times. That's great. But my big question for you, Jennifer, because this is like, that's the thing about these Q&As. It's not like interactive one-on-one coaching. But my big question for you is, have you talked to them If you have, and this will be helpful for everybody, when you get interest from a company, you don't go back and forth and just respond to what they're asking you to do. You get on a call and you interview them as much as they are interviewing you. So if you haven't done that yet, Jennifer, quite often when you get on that call and you talk to them, you can talk out maybe what they're looking for in the way of a prototype, what have you. Maybe you can get some toys and hack them together. Maybe you can get them to do it. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, we'd be okay with something crude like that. And you get a toy and you kind of hack it together, or you just describe it verbally to them and explain how simple it is. Like, well, there's that other toy over there. It's more or less like that one, but I'm changing this. So, what I encourage you to do, Jennifer, is get on a call with the company and talk it out. And so, don't just react. You don't want to go out and spend $5,000 on a prototype and they look at it and they're like, eh. No, you don't wanna do that. So the fact that you get on the phone with them and they take the time to get on the phone with you shows sincere interest. Anybody can drop you an email. We watch your video, send us a prototype, right? Anybody can do that. So by the fact that they take, the fact that they take five or 10 minutes to talk to you on the phone, it validates they're really interested. So, and you can also get more details about what it is they're looking for. What it is it they're uncertain about? Maybe you can give them answers with similar products and go, well, there, that exists, so we know that works. And what are you looking to clarify, you know? And and maybe you can cannibalize something, Frankenstein something, and make a prototype for them. Maybe you can give them answers that are sufficient enough for them, you know? What do they wanna do? Do they want some kids to play with these toys? Do they wanna use them themselves? Um, anybody can take some two seconds to type an email, send me a prototype. And I think there's this big misperception that, If you don't have a prototype, when you reach out to companies that they'll get mad at you or that it will kill the deal. I have never seen that in the 21 years we've been doing InventRight. Virtual prototypes and pitching the benefit of the product, because what you're really selling, Jennifer, is the benefit of the product, not your prototype, not a patent, the benefit of the product. So if it makes it easier to clean your dishes or it brings a smile to a kid's face when they make it spin on their finger, whatever it is, that's what you're selling. OK, so you want to talk to them actively about that. OK, and, you know, maybe they don't want to. They get a lot of submissions from toy inventors and they don't want to play around with themselves. They want something more from you. But maybe it's not as much as you think. and It's something that you might be able to do yourself. But going out and spending a ton of money on a prototype when you haven't even verified they haven't got on the phone and talked to you yet, that's you know, you definitely got to get on the phone with them. Um, I see a lot of inventors making that mistake. Our students don't make that mistake, but I see a lot of inventors making that mistake. They just react to whatever the company says and give them whatever. And no, you need to interview them first. So you might be like, well, they want a prototype, so I got to give them that. It's like, well, why don't you talk to them about the product? See what their excitement level is about it. See what they're interested, what the different aspects are uh, about it that they're concerned about, or just you know, establish some rapport so now you're a person. You know, you're not just this fictitious person, you're a real person. If you're on Zoom, great, they saw your face. But at the very least, if you're on the phone, they saw, they heard your voice. And now you got them wrapped up in your project a little bit. They're not just typing an email, send us a prototype and they're off to something else, completely forgot about it. You spent five grand on a prototype, you show it to them, they're like, eh. And you know, you don't want that to happen. So, and a lot of inventors would react that way. You, If they were sincerely interested in the benefit, they will get on the phone and talk to you. And they will spend the time to explain to you what their concerns are, what their plan is to do with the prototype. And you might be able to boil it down to something more simple. OK? Thank you. Thank you very much, Jennifer, for the question. Uh, Charles says, how do I patent or lease an idea on an everyday item that is just packaged in a fun novelty way? Do I approach manufacturers of the product to market in a new way? in a new way, it is just a marketing idea. Well, I don't know. I think it's more than just a marketing idea when you're packaging it in a new way. Maybe, I would need to see what it is. But um, so, you know, if it's the actual packaging itself, that's patentable and licensable. And it's like, you just think it's marketing and it is, but if it's a unique package, that could be licensed without a doubt. So I can't really say, Charles, without knowing it. Um, But you said, do I approach the manufacturer of the product to market in a new way? Um, Is it just a marketing idea? So it's packaged in a funny novelty way. It sounds like a kind of a bit of a package innovation. So I would present to them. I would file a, a, a provisional patent application. We give our students a solution to do that. So they just pay the $75 patent office filing fee if you want to learn more about that and how we coach. Go to InventRight and click on Contact Us and book a call, and you'll be talking with Dana or Sylvia. They're fantastic. Um, and they can tell you more about how um, we will show you how to file your own provisional, so you don't need to reach out to an attorney and you can file it. The patent office fee is only for 75 bucks for that. So file a provisional, make some sort of presentation, a sell sheet, showing them the new packaging. And maybe that new packaging is patentable. Well, maybe it's not, but they would still license it from you because you came to them with the idea. Don't think that you can't license things that aren't patentable. Our students do it all the time. or like questionably patentable, but you put patent pending on the sell sheet because you got a provisional. You can legally say patent pending when you spend 75 bucks on a provisional. See what the interest is and and move forward from there. So um, I can't say for sure because I don't know what the product is, um, but uh, it, it sounds like something you could license. Now, if it's just a pure marketing, you said yourself, it's the packaging, just pure marketing. Oh, you should call it this or call it that, you know, okay. Um, But it sounds like it's more, it's the way you're packaging it, you know, and that that could make a difference. Uh, Why do we keep getting questions on this over and over and over again? Um, I don't know if we talked about it on our YouTube show. Um, Ethan said, it's so really unimportant but i'll tell you when it is important hey andrew can you talk about um, business names such as an llc how important is it to use one and are there different types as well as advantages so okay ethan's got a slightly different take on this question um they don't care what your business name is they could care less they just care about the product you're showing them so they're seeing the sell sheet or a video and they're seeing the benefit of the product that's what's important so what we advise our students to do just to keep it simple. So this is um, from Ethan M. Let's say um, let's say your last name is Michaels, Ethan. Okay, Ethan Michaels. So you could say Ethan Michaels designs at Gmail, okay? So if you use your full surname, which is your first name and your last name, in all the states that I know of, you don't even need to file a fictitious business name statement because you're telling people exactly who you are. If you say it's like Clever Designs or something like that, most, in most states in the US, you need to file a fictitious business name statement saying, you know, um, Ethan M doing business as clever designs. But if you use your full surname, most of our students just do that and add Gmail. So you don't need a website, complete and utter waste of time. And you never want to put your products up on a website. You never want to put your products up publicly at all when you're licensing. And you're going to privately email them a sell sheet. And um, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, you. What does matter though is if you create an unprofessional appearance? So I think what I'm gonna morph this question into is, how do you create a professional appearance? So in your email signature, if it said, um, Ethan, let's just make up your last name, Ethan is Michaels, okay? Ethan Michaels, product developer, Ethan Michaels, designs at Gmail, And you got a phone number, it's just your cell phone number. And on the cell phone, you say, hi, this is Ethan Michaels with Ethan Michael Designs. Please leave a message. I'll get back to you promptly. Well, your friends and family know who it is. So that didn't cost you anything. You didn't need to file an LLC. You're creating a very professional appearance. But let's give an example of what's not professional. So um, let's say it's happybeach at hotmail.com. Why are you using that email? Oh my God, guys, get, get yourself a free email address. It doesn't have to be Gmail; it could be something else. But a lot of people in corporate America use Gmail, so it's kind of familiar and feels professional to them, um, you know. And so, get yourself a professional Gmail. Don't have kids screaming on. You know, we don't have this happen so much anymore because most people don't have landlines anymore. Where there was kids back in the day, we've been doing this for 21 years. There was kids screaming on the answering machine. I'm like, oh my God! Like our coach would call a student. It's like, what's that answering machine? Is that the number you're giving people oh yeah no, don't do that so um and also if you have a dedicated email your email junk don't sign up for anything with the email address that you use for your licensing business so it's nice and clean and you're not losing a message in a bunch of junk because you subscribe to all sorts of different free stuff you know nice clean new email don't give it to anybody but potential licensees keep it that way so they, they're they not gonna care if you have an LLC or if you don't. So now, with that said, we always say, when you do a deal, when our students do a deal and our negotiation coach is helping them, we always advise the inventor, okay, you don't have an LLC now, you always wanna do the deal under an LLC because it provides you an additional measure of protection. If somebody sues somebody, they're suing the LLC, they're not suing you personally. Now, in the 21 years I've been doing this, I've never seen one of our students get sued for a product that they licensed to a company ever in 21 years, but in case it did happen, you have that additional measure of protection. But the other measures is they don't even know you exist. They're not putting your name on the back of the package. If some inventor got hurt on a ladder, say it's a ladder invention, they're suing the latter company, not you. And the other thing that you're also covered with, I always, it seems like I cover this in almost every live Q&A, but you always got new people, so that's fine, um, is you, you insist that you're covered under their product liability insurance. These companies, for them to sell at major retailers like Walmart or Bed Bath & Beyond or Target or wherever else, they need a couple million dollars in product liability insurance. And it doesn't cost them one cent more to put you on their product liability insurance. Now, it's a funny thing. We get companies arguing with that also all the time, but it's the marketing manager and they don't know. They're like, oh, I don't know if we could do that. We're like, yes, you can, and it won't cost you a dime. And I've never had a company come back, oh, it's gonna cost us more to put the inventor on there. So as the inventor, you're covered every which way until Tuesday, you're not doing it under your own name, you're doing it on an LLC. You don't need to do that now, but you can do it when you're in the midst of your first deal. And you're covered under product liability insurance, and they don't even know you exist as an inventor. They'd have to dig pretty deep and you don't have the deep pockets. Um, and if you did it, deep Pockets, you got all these different methods for protecting you. So um, Ethan, thank you for the question because it helped me kind of go into like, some people think they need to come up with some clever company name. Use your full surname, put designs behind it. You know what's great about that? You could be doing a medical device one day and you could be doing a dog toy the next day and it will always be applicable, right? It will always, designs like Andrew Krauss' designs, you know, Ethan, Ethan Michaels designs, you know? And don't think about it too much. I know people, then they get all, this is another thing not to do. And we have 21 years of seeing people try to do the wrong things. We always catch our students if they're trying to do it, but we see other inventors doing it. Don't include a big old company logo on there. They don't care, it's about the product. It's not about your company. So it's very little tiny letters at the bottom, you know, your company name and your contact info, and you're not putting this big company logo clever designs and you put this thing that takes up half the page. I've seen inventors do that. Don't do that either. So um, hopefully that was helpful. I rambled quite a bit on that one. Um, Thank you, Ethan. Uh, uh, Charles says, using a fictitious example, if a manufacturer sells pencils in a 25 pack for $25 but repackaging five pencils in a funny way they can sell it for $10. My idea is more um, the shape or unusual way. Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so if you had these pencils and you have this unique package that the pencils are like stacked on each other or in some unique pattern, like a square or formed a star or something like that, that is an invention. That is a packaging innovation or invention that's going to help um, them sell more pencils because you know kids will gravitate towards it or adults will like it, and that is an invention. If just as that, it's a fictitious example. You assemble the pack, the uh, the pencils in a fun way, and then there's like a blister pack. You know that's the blister pack that goes around the package, and it's going to keep it in that shape. I'm just giving you a random example, okay, guys? Um, yeah, I think something like that would be licensable, so that's a good example, Charles. Um, and I th- I think that's something. I don't know the specific ideas, guys, but that is that is something that would be viable. Um, now, if you just said, eh, you know, instead of throwing in a pack of twenty-five, do it a pack of five pencils, same standard package, everything. Okay, you got nothing there. That's that's more of a just. That's not even a marketing idea. It's just like you should read. But if but if you're innovating with the package and the package looks different, it's kind of cool and fun. Yeah, hell yeah, you can you could you could license that. Um, Jeremy says, hi, I'm Jeremy. In a nutshell, is step three evaluating your idea all about deciding if you should move forward on the idea or go into the next idea? Um, Yeah, you should. You you need to evaluate your ideas. And it's something that's really hard for people to do. Um, But if you look at all the other products in the space of your invention and your open-minded about the benefits of each one. Oh, this one over here, this is cheaper. And then these, these ones over here are useful, has this feature, and then there's one over here. And, and then how does mine? Mine fits in here. And I think based on the only other things in the space, I do have a point of difference. But that's not what most inventors do. A lot of inventors, well, that sucks. Mine's better than that. Mine's better. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like my invention. I just got to prove there's nothing like it. Mine's better than that. It's better than that. Oh, that one's no good. That's just stupid. You know, wrong attitude. Because when you approach marketing managers, they know what's in the space and the category of your invention. And if they're like, well, how's this different than that? Or, you know, I don't really see this as a big benefit. When you really understand the micro category of your invention that your space that, that your product is in. So for instance, uh, a micro category is barbecue spatulas. A broad category is barbecue accessories. That's too broad. You need to figure out what the micro category for your invention is and study that because you could be studying all barbecue accessories forever, but if you got a barbecue spatula, you become an expert in uh, two to four hours on every freaking barbecue spatula out there. I'd say maybe four. But when people have an idea, they get so much anxiety about finding something similar, which is the real world. Don't have anxiety about it, just accept the real world because trust me, the people you approach, they know those other products probably. So for you to spend a bunch of money on a patent or a prototype, virtual prototype, sell sheet, all this because you didn't do your research, and then they're like, well, I don't think it really makes sense given these other products. And you're like, oh, I didn't know those existed. But most inventors don't want to do that because you're afraid of what you're going to find. So realize they know you can't hide, you can't put blinders on. Be honest with yourself about having a point of difference. So if you have multiple products, who asked that question? That was a good question. Jeremy, so if you have multiple products, you wanna do that for like two or three products. You know, you don't wanna to do too many, it gets too overwhelming. And then go, you know, which one has a, a bigger benefit, really easy to understand compared to the others? You might wanna work on the other two, but you're like, I would suggest if you're new to this, work on the one that is the most simple and straightforward first. Work on that one, then move on to some more, more difficult ones. But the ones that has the clearest benefit based on you studying the marketplace, okay? Um, I can't tell you how many times I talk to inventors, um, not our students, but I talk to inventors, and they tell me about their ideas. And I, I like do like literally like a 10 second search. I'm like, what about this? They're like, what about what? What? I, I didn't know that existed. I'm like, I spent 10 seconds doing the search. Like, so, so if you know, you suck at doing searches and don't know your keywords, spend more time, you will get good at it. And you kind of like play one off another. You're like, you type something in you see like a couple products you're like oh but i see sometimes they call this type of product this and then you start typing that and it's like a treasure hunt when you're searching and um you know it, the more you do it the better you get at it but it's it's a skill that's it's not an optional skill it's a mandatory skill but inventors like to try to make it optional don't make it optional that's why when one of our coaches helps our students and they go over all those little details and they guide them on how to do those searches, for, say, well, for your product, I would be doing this and this. And they're like, well, oh, why? And well, because it, then they start to become empowered because they've gotten that real life experience. And then at some point we want them to say, I get it. I don't need you guys anymore. I know how to do this now, but without guiding people through specific products, they don't get that real life experience. And then they do a half-assed job of them studying the micro category, studying the marketplace. And they you don't want to re- you don't want to do a sell sheet, do a provisional patent, do you know, reach out to 30 companies and then realize later that the product didn't make sense, you know? But our coaches don't give their personal opinion. Our coaches base their opinion on facts, on the marketplace. They will give the opinion, their opinion based on facts. Okay? So this isn't out of emotion, this is out of facts about what else is in the marketplace, okay? Um, So Jeremy, thank you for the question. Um, Let's see. Caleb, hi, Andrew, wanted to say thanks and let you know as of last week, I began sending out my ideas. Great, Caleb, fantastic. I couldn't have done it without your help. Looking forward to working with you on licensing. That's excellent, Caleb. Guys, what Caleb has done here is huge. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, Stephen and I, we're the co-founders here, we're a little critical, we're like three companies, don't reach out to three companies, reach out to 20 or 30, you know, you gotta do that. And we insist all our students do that uh, for most products. But when you've reached out to two or three, you've done what most inventors have never done, You put yourself out there and you reached out to a company because that's when something can happen. And I've said this before, when you can call yourself truly an inventor is the second you send a product to a company because that's something, then something can happen. Before that, you're just a person with ideas. If you don't show them to anybody, nothing can ever happen. So, Caleb, that is amazing. It's a great reason to celebrate. Keep pushing out. You're going to get a lot of no's. Realize that those no's aren't, are not just no's to that product. So if you have a product that is in that same space, let's say they're in kitchen, you just made a contact. When they say no, you just, you know their name, you know their email, you can send them another idea. So don't consider that rejection. You utilized that first product and sell sheet for that one company sending it to make the relationship. Yes, it's a superficial kind of, they might not remember you, they might remember you kind of relationship, but you got all their contact info. So feel really good about that. And that way, that's a really good way to not feel bad when you're getting all these no's because you only need one maybe to move forward to a yes. That's just the licensing game. So um, realize that all the no's, you have relationships, you've established relationships with these people. You did not get rejected. They just said no to that one particular idea. So, Caleb, good on you, man, for for reaching out. And anybody else that's reaching out, that's great. Um, uh, uh, Khalid, hi, Andrew. Uh, How can you find the right company to license my idea if the idea is under more than one category? That's fine. Sometimes our students will have multiple lists, two or three. Like, oh, there's like 10 companies over here with this types of companies and then 15 over here. And sometimes the product is even two different versions. Like it'd be one version for this industry and one version over here. When that happens, it's essentially two products. But there's other times where it's just like multiple lists of companies in different categories um, and for the same product. But you c- it can also be if there's a big variation and if you license it over here in Kitchen, the people over here, in garden would be like, we don't care. So you can do another licensing deal because it's a different version of the product for a different, um, let's say it's something to store and organize stuff. And it worked for kitchen gadgets, but it also worked for little gardening implements and stuff in the garden. I'm just ran- making a random example. So, um, but it is pretty common to have multiple categories and people have a hard time determining that. And that's why our, our coaches can really help with that. But once you, once you understand it, and you've experienced it, um, you can repeat that over and over again. It's a skill that you develop, basically. Um, Mariana, uh, when you have several ideas, um, how would you go about prioritizing deciding what to further pursue after doing research, et cetera? Ideas are in different industries. Um, well, I would go back to what I said before study the microcategory of each one of your products and figure out if you have a decent point of difference based on those other things. Sometimes it doesn't need to be, maybe your point of difference is mind blowing, it's really, really cool, whoa, that's cool. Maybe it's just like, oh, it's just a slight difference where if I saw this product and this one, that a good percentage of people would choose your new version. So don't think that invention and innovation needs to be, you need to be some crazy scientist or some genius, super clever person. Um, You can just be a little clever and you're quite often more clever than the people in corporate America that are kind of like on this hamster wheel thinking about things the same way they always have. So don't feel like you need to be super innovative. Um, and companies will vary. Some companies are like, oh, no, I want something really mind-blowing. And most are like, yeah, something decent. Others are like, man, eh, it's just slight variations. Like, we'll take that. And so it will vary by company. So you you can't, make these blanket statements that it's it's always got to be super innovative or it oh it's just a little change don't be too innovative it's going to depend your product is what it is you got to go ahead and pitch it and some companies will be into it and some won't but you you only need one you only need one um so you have ideas in different in different industries so you have to study um the micro category of each one of those products, and see how your product fits in. If there's not a lot of major manufacturing issues, you're like, well, Andrew, I'm not a manufacturing guy; I wouldn't know. Just look at similar products and go. Well, if they can make that, they can make this. Manufacturing research done, you know. And and you can actually say that to a company. We tell our students to say that all the time, and it works all the time. So a product that doesn't like maybe is a little simpler to implement. Um, maybe a little more cost effective to implement. Some products are going to require. Uh, a huge injection mold and, you know, $50,000 investment and other products, like it's like a sewn product, like there's no tooling involved. They're just gonna send it over to Asia probably and have some people sew it up. So that's an easier for one to say them, them to say yes to. So it is harder to get them to say yes if the product is more complex and there's more involved, of course, because it's the bigger involvement for them. So if you wanted to evaluate, if you've got a bunch of ideas and you're trying to pick through them, um who is that that was uh mariana um you might pick the ones that are a little easier to implement and the ones that when you study the micro category made sense your product fits in and has a point of difference so those are two big things that would help you figure out which projects to work on also the ease of understanding some products like oh i know if i make the right sell sheet people will just look at the picture and marketing copy and get it and other ones it's like uh, eh, you know i kind of got a explain this and then this, and then it's a little, it's a little, you know, not, not making a lot of sense, and it's going to be harder to make it clear what the product is. So that's, those are some criteria, Mariana. Great question. Um, Marcus here, if you have a product that has an accessory, would you put both items on one PPA if they are both novel ideas? Yeah, why the hell not? But anything I share with you tonight is not legal advice, so consult the Services of an attorney, if you're looking for legal advice. But um, yeah, there's no reason. Sometimes people go, oh, I got four different versions of my product. Do I need to do four PPAs? I'm like, hell no. you know? Um, no, you can throw that. And that's what you should be doing in a PPA. You should be covering all the variations, improvements, accessories, future versions. Throw that all in the PPA, even if it's not what you're currently pitching. So you're protecting yourself. Um, now, I, I some of our students go too far there, and they spend a ton of time. I'm like, oh, my God, don't include that. Like that's only half as good as what you have. That's just a waste of your time to put that in there. Like, but if there are other versions that are like 75% as good, just as good, but not the version you're pitching, throw that stuff in there. But don't throw stuff in there that it's like if it was in the marketplace and your product and that product was on the shelf, nobody would buy that thing. You're wasting your time, including that in your PPA. Don't get ridiculous with it. Don't include iterations or versions or workarounds that aren't uh, viable or attractive, right? Um, Let's see. Scubasty. Scubasty has been coming to these for a long time. Hello, Andrew. Would the process be the same for licensing artwork or slogans to companies to be the same as licensing products to them? Yes, we. you can definitely license artwork. We have uh, June. Uh, she's licensed like, I don't know, last time I checked, it was like 80 pieces of her artwork. So she does something unique. She looks for companies that already have artwork on their products. And then she shows them their artwork to license the artwork on the products. And I know you might be like, damn, Andrew, that's 80. But you know, some of these, like it's like a product, and then there's five different versions of it with five different pieces of artwork or something like that. So that would be five products that she's essentially licensed. So that's one of the reasons, she's probably like over 100 now for, for all I know but that's one of the reasons for the numbers on that. But she licenses her artwork. Slogans, uh, that's a little bit harder, slogans. Um, artwork, yeah, I mean, that's copyrighted, definitely. Slogans, that's a bit of a stretch. Now, I did have one student that um, I only can recall this happening once in 21 years we've been doing right. And he was working on licensing this product. In this particular case, very unusual. They weren't interested at all in his product, but they said, wow, we love your trademark. And they licensed the trademark. But I wouldn't run out and spending a bunch of money on trademarks hoping that you're gonna license it because that is extremely rare. So it is possible to license the slogan. Um, uh, was that, was that wasn't was Marcus, that was Scuba Steve. Um, but I would say that would definitely be harder than artwork. I don't know if it'd be a good use of your time, Scuba Steve. I think that if you um, well, here's the other problem with that. Usually when people come up with a slogan, they're they want it for one particular company. So now they're trying to reach out to that one particular company. And that's not playing the mark the, the numbers game that InventRight teaches. So when you work on a project, try to reach out to 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 companies, because now you've created that marketing piece and you're sending it to all of those. So that dramatically increases your chances of success. So Coming up with a slogan for one company, it uh, doesn't make sense. You pitched a slogan to 20 companies. Yeah, but is it going to be applicable to 20 companies? So I think that's, um, I would generally say it's possible, but I don't know if it's a good use of your time. Um, uh, Scuba Steve said, always thanks and great stuff. Um uh da-da. That's a little technical. I don't have, you know, I'm not going to share my screen right here, right now, Paula. But Paula said, question, what are the three top tips to perform effective prior art searches? I don't know if I'll share three, but I'll share a little bit about prior art. So some of you probably like prior what? What's prior art? So what most people think prior art is patents that have been filed. But that's actually not true. Um, Prior art is anything that any patents that have been filed or any product that has ever in the history of time been publicly disclosed. So if a product was put out in the marketplace for a year and nobody ever got a patent on it, that's public domain. So that's gonna affect your ability to get a patent. So one of the the big tip I'll give, I'm not only gonna give one, I'm not gonna give three, Paula, because that's a awfully, we're gonna get really into it, but you're gonna appreciate this. The big tip that I will give, or at least hopefully you will, um, the big tip I'm gonna give is understanding that a market search is always first. Whenever you come up with an idea, I would never in a million years do a patent search right off the bat. I would always do a market search. Use Google Images, Amazon, you know, Google Images is a great tool, and look at everything that's in the marketplace to look at what else is out there. Okay? It's cuz most stuff is not patented. There's people that sell products all the time and they're not patented, and if that product's been out there in the marketplace for more than a year and nobody got a patent on it, whatever is whatever that is, is public domain, anybody can do it. Now, if you have an improvement to it, you could protect the improvement and still do that base thing if that base product didn't have a patent on it. But I think realizing that prior art searches is a market search first because what is or isn't in the marketplace is really important because it tells you what's selling, what's not selling. If you see something that's been in the market for three years, you know it's selling. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't selling, right? Um, but if you, people patent all sorts of stupid stuff, inventors they get an idea, they run to an attorney. Their friends and family say, "Well, you, that's a good idea. You better get a patent on that," which is terrible advice. But you know what they're saying when they're saying that is, "I think it's a great idea, so you should be flattered by that." But don't take their advice when running out and getting a patent every time you come up with an idea. And there's a ton of inventors and companies that do that, and they run out and they get a patent. And most of this prior art, pat, prior patents, is garbage or weak to junk. And there's a ton of patent attorneys that will file garbage patents for inventors. The product's not making sense. The inventor didn't give them the variations, workarounds, improvements. The patent attorney didn't push them for it. And you have tons of garbage patents. I've heard some intellectual property experts, and I think this is a little bit extreme, but say that up to 80% of patents are weak to junk. 80%. I don't believe it's that much. But so don't, don't think it's all about patents. It's about when you're trying to do a prior art search to see what else is out there and what you can get protection on. It's about what's in the market as well as what's patented. And realize that a lot of these patents are just junk. When you start going through them and you start looking through the claims, you'll be like, okay, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. That's a problem. Damn, I looked at the picture. I thought, this is a problem. Well, this isn't a problem at all. You know. So you have to read through the claims. So that, Paula, hopefully that was helpful. It probably wasn't what you were expecting, which is always nice because um, to get new advice um, is, is always helpful, to get a new perspective. Um, Tony said, been gone for a while. Well, Andrew has stepped up his quality game. Thank you. I thought I was always high quality, Tony. I'm very offended by that. But okay, thank you. I'm doing good. I'm doing good right now. I thought I was always doing good, but I don't think that's what you meant. I'm just joking. Um YouTube Entrepreneur is their handle. What does the program cost? So if you wanna go and get more information about our, our coaching program, we have um, our one-on-one coaching program, our premium program. Uh, you can. He's asking directly what it costs, so I don't mind saying it. I won't take up a bunch of time because you guys are here to get help, not here to, here to hear me pitching. But it's $6.99 for the first month and $5.99 for the following five. It includes a sell sheet, virtual prototype, software to file a provisional patent, Um, your coach guiding you and talking to you every single week, emailing them anytime, includes our negotiation coach waiting in the wings so you don't need to call a licensing attorney. Paul will help you through the negotiation. When a deal is 95% done though, he'll say, look, just have an attorney for an hour or two, dot the I's across the T's. We don't want you signing anything without an attorney going over it, but he can guide you through the entire negotiation. Just that alone, if you, every time you get interest, if you call a licensing attorney, first of all, most of the time, they're going to kill the deal. Because they're going to try to rack up billable hours by by saying they're fighting for you. And I think they truly believe that. And they start to fight and get combative rather than being friendly and moving it forward. And there's a lot of um, negotiation and discussions before you get to the contract. So it's not like you get interest and they're like, oh, we'll send you our contract. Bullshit. That's not the way it happens at all. You're going to have discussions about manufacturing and different issues and different things like that. and And, you know, Maybe they've never done a licensing deal before. Maybe they've done a bunch, but the marketing guy you're talking to never has. So now he's got to show it to the right person. Then they gotta get back to you. And it's like back and forth, back and forth. And we know how to guide inventors through that part. So from initial interest to contract is way more important than contract to close. Initial interest, I'll say that again, initial interest to contract. If you don't do and say the right things, you will not get to a contract. And if you just hire a licensing attorney every time you get a little interest, they will kill the deal for you almost every time if if all our students like every time they got interest instead of sending them to our negotiation coach paul which is a very level-headed approach that we have guided him to use and i think he's better than stephen and myself at it now because that's all he does all day long um if he's guiding you with a level-headed approach very strategic okay very friendly strategic and you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you that's one thing that shocks people people think like oh they're interested I'm just gonna listen to what they tell me to do. I'm just gonna do it. You will close almost no deals if you do it like that. If they're really, really interested, you might still close the deal that way. If you're not asking them questions and engaging, it will not move the deal forward and things will fizzle out almost every time. I've seen a few inventors that weren't rights students where it didn't because the product was just so freaking intriguing. Um, but most of the time, you, you're just as responsible, if not more, for moving it forward as them. And you're probably like, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, we can guide you. We can guide you as to what to say at every step from initial interest to contract. And then Paul, our negotiation coach, will help from contract to close as well. Um, but don't underestimate initial interest to contract. Very, very important. Um, Oh, so YouTube Entrepreneur was asking. That was their handle. Um, so it's 6 99 the first month and 5 in the following five. It's for half a year, guys. And you, you're not limited to one project. At the beginning, out of the gate, we limit you to one project. But then you can work on um, multiple once you get your initial calls or LinkedIn messages for the first project. Because we're here, our, our mission is twofold. One, to make sure you do and say everything right so you have the highest chance of success of licensing. And we can guarantee that. We can't guarantee you're going to license every product you work on, but we can guarantee you'll do and say everything right because we're guiding you. Um, and then two, that you get real life experience so you can say at some point, "I get it, guys. I don't need you anymore. I I feel comfortable enough with this, and I know I can always come back. And you got my back if I get it over my head. And I always come back and 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 rejoin or something like that and get some help. So um, that that so that's that's about thirty five hundred, but you can make it in six payments. We also have a lower price program that. Is academy that's uh, less than half of that, but it's group coaching with just three calls. So that's all on our website, um, and you can just go to contact us, book a call with Sylvia or um, or Dana, and they'll they'll explain how things work. And that you know, even if you're not ready yet, if you just want to know about it, that would be great because we're not high pressure at all. They're not going to hound you or anything like that. Um, Caleb. What, Okay, Caleb said, why would a company I'm pitching to ask for my PPA number? Because uh, they don't know any better. Sometimes they ask for things and they just don't know any better. You don't really wanna give your PPA number. My understanding is, I'm not completely clear on this, never had it happen, not even worried about it. But if a company had your PPA number and they impersonated you, they could get access to your PPA. But if, what company is gonna do that? That's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, you might, if so first off, Caleb, if they're asking for that, I would change the direction of the conversation and get on the phone and talk with them about the product. And you'd be surprised how often when they ask for things like that and you redirect the conversation, they don't even bring it up anymore. They just didn't know how to continue the conversation. Other times they really want it, but I would talk about the product. I would never show a PPA to a company that hasn't taken the time to talk to you on the phone. And probably, a couple more emails and maybe a talk or two more. Um, so and it's really not important. Um, and it's great because they can't see what you have there. They can't see a provisional. So it's great to kind of keep that secret for a bit. Um, a lot of details to go in there with approaches and strategies, but. Um, uh, oh, I love this question. This is the my favorite question of the night, guys. So um, let's listen to what I'm saying here. So Voyage Travel, that's their handle, says, what's your best advice when it comes to finding ideas for an invention? I'm gonna tell you guys what I think the secret sauce is to coming up with ideas. Almost no inventors do this. But when I have inventors that ask or are open to it, I say, this is the way you should be inventing. Almost no inventors do. Most inventors, like you just started coming up with ideas one day, and if you ask an inventor about their process, they don't even know, like they just randomly come to them at various times or they randomly daydream about things. But they don't, I think a lot of inventors don't even understand their own process, which is not a big deal and they're very creative and they're coming up with ideas. But this is the way to invent like a pro, almost no inventors are doing this. Don't invent at the beginning. This, so this is the technique that I suggest you use. So just study a micro category no invention okay it shouldn't be something you don't like like if you hate cooking don't study kitchen gadgets but if you're like i'm not a cook but i'm around my wife and she's always cooking and i use kitchen gadgets and i think they're kind of fun and clever even though i'm not a cook that would be fine or hey i'm a professional chef i have a woman that's one of our students she's a professional chef she's a really cool freaking product um i'm going to i'm going to be shocked if she doesn't license this thing but So it doesn't have to be something you're super into, but it shouldn't be something you don't like. It should be something that is a little interesting to you at the very least, or is just interesting to you. So you should study um, kind of a broad category. So if you want to study all the kitchen gadgets for like 25 minutes, you're kind of looking for a kitchen gadget that you want to study more in depth. So let's say it's, um, let's say it's a meat pulverizer, you know, my wife was cooking some stuff over, I don't eat meat, but my daughter and my wife do, I eat tons of fish, but it was like this hammer, right? And you hit the meat and you pulverize meat. So you're like, okay, I, I can't become an expert in two or four hours with, a, um, with with all kitchen gadgets. I can't do that. I can't study all this. It's too overwhelming, it would take forever, right? But you can kind of study a broad category, so then you're like, oh, you know, a meat pulverizer, huh, that's interesting. Um, usually in this example, I give barbecue specials, but okay. So then you study the meat pulverizers or hammers or what have you, and you start studying them. And maybe it only takes you two hours to do that. Maybe it takes you four. No invention. Okay. Become an expert in a micro category in which you can be completely an expert in two to four hours. And you can do that with so many things. And what you're observing is like the benefits of each product, the price points, maybe start to group them there's these over here. These are high price. these are low price. There's These ones have this feature and these ones, have, you start to make a list of different features. Become an expert, no invention. And, you know, if you come up with an idea, scribble it down, but get back to becoming an expert in this micro category first, okay? Don't get too distracted with inventing. If you Come up with something clever. I'm not going to tell you to throw it out of your head. Go ahead and write it down and move back to becoming the expert. Now, you're probably exhausted at this point. Maybe you even did this in two sessions, okay? Maybe you did it in one session. But to now come up with ideas, you're probably pretty freaking exhausted. Maybe you came up with some. You know, you're probably going to come up with some on the fly, but maybe you scribbled them down. Walk away. And maybe when you're taking a shower, maybe when you're driving, maybe you come back to your computer, you sit down, you look at all this research, you bookmarked all these pages, just looking at the pictures of all this stuff, along with your little your notes that you made with these different things. And you're like, ah, oh, it just came to me, or it didn't come to you. But then you, you go for a ride a couple of days later, and you, you get this long one-hour drive, and it comes to you. But you're inventing, almost no inventors do this. You're inventing with the marketplace in mind. You first become an expert in a micro category and then you invent with that category in mind. This will save you so much heartache. Most people come up with inventions, then they're afraid. Remember at the top of the hour, I talked about how people are afraid to find what's out there. Well, it's out there. So instead of, so then you're not gonna be surprised with anything you find, but even better yet, that's not the main reason for this. The main reason is you're inventing with the marketplace in mind. You're being smart. You're not just coming up with random ideas, which works for most inventors. The vast majority of inventors do that. But you're not coming with random ideas, you're coming with ideas that you know make sense in the marketplace. And when a marketing manager sees those products, the product you came up with, they know all the products in that micro category. They know all the meat pulverizers, tenderizers, whatever you call them. And they're like, ooh, yeah, this is different. That's the way you want to invent. Almost nobody does that. That's what you should do. So voyage travel that was your handle. Do that, You'll be, you will increase your chances of success. When inventors come to us, usually they're really obsessed with one particular idea. Some I talked to one today who's a new student. He's meeting with his coach tomorrow. And he's like, I got 17. I'm open to working on any of them. I love that. I love where it's like, you know, as a coach, tell me what would be a good first project for me to work on. Okay. I love it when people do that. And so some people I, you know, they got, oh, I I get, this is my main focus this one idea right now, but I got 10 ideas, or I got five, or I have other ideas I don't have any off the top of my head. Um, and that's fine too. But as you go on, if you wanna do it now, I think it's great and it will serve you so well. But if you wanna do it in the future, that's fine as well. Cause you should never be a one trick pony and you just have one invention in your life. You never come up with another invention. That's You might as well quit now if that's your mindset. If you never wanna work on another invention, just quit now. You need to work on more than one invention over time. You need to do that, okay? Um, so Voyage Travel, uh, hopefully that was helpful. It was probably a much more in-depth answer than you thought, but pretty thorough. Um, OK, Mimi me says, please, what is the average time to start seeing income from licensing agreement? It seems it would be a very long time. I understand it's very different according to the product, but great to get an idea. I love that question. I think that's a great question. It's a very realistic question. Um, so. Let's say you did a deal today, Mimi. You did a deal today. You signed the contract today, okay? It's going to, now, before COVID, I want to say, it's going to take them six months to 14 months to launch the product. You know, typically, it depends on the product. Some products a little longer. It's taking a little longer now with COVID because there's supply chain issues. Now, I'm not seeing the deals our students are closing falling out. It's just taking the company longer to bring that product to market. But that's okay as an inventor. You're moving on. You're working on licensing other products. That's no time from you. It doesn't take you time to do that. All that responsibility is off on the company. So it is taking a little longer now. So once you sign the licensing contract, you get paid your royalties quarterly. So there's going to be a period of time where they need to get it made and they need to get it to the stores, right? And that can take a while. And so some people go, oh, God, like a year is a really long time, Andrew. I'm like, try two or three years if you're trying to do this yourself. Now, some people, they, they get this false sense of moving forward by manufacturing products themselves and trying to sell them. But the meager 100 units or 500 units or 1,000 units or 3,000 units you sell is just Ridiculous to these big companies you're licensing to that are selling 20,000, 50,000, half a million units. It depends, right? And so you need to be realistic about the time it takes them to do that. Now, you're not going to get anxious about it, hopefully, because you're going to move on and work on other products. You license it to them. I mean, how great is that? It's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their existing distribution. They're doing all that work, and you've moved on to other things. Don't be so freaking impatient if you are. You know go okay that's going to take a little while so you know anything you would license today which i don't think it was really much different before um you know it's going to be over a year before you see significant royalties now you can get them to pay as an advance on royalties for the patents they give you the money and maybe you give it to your attorney and then they file a full utility and reference the provisional um so that's that's the upfront money you can get but asking for any significant amount of upfront money um, is, is a major, major deal killer. You want to get money as they make money, you make money. So I would expect with most companies over a year, there are exceptions where it can be uh, shorter, but that is a hell of a lot better than you mortgaging your house and home, trying to launch the business, being in debt for years and years, and eventually maybe digging yourself out of it because you've decided to make it and sell it yourself as opposed to them taking all the risk. And if they fail, you can take it back because you're not selling your idea, you're renting or releasing it. That's what we teach people to do. That's what licensing is, renting or leasing your idea. You're never selling your idea. If they don't perform, you get it back. So um, if you think that's very, very long, Mimi, um, I don't. I think that's lightning fast. Um, you know, uh, And here's, here's another thing. One of the best forms of protection is first to market. So when you license to a really big company, And they blow it out there in a really big way, fast and hard. Then everybody else is a me too. When you try to sell a product yourself and you're just giving everybody, all the bigger guys, an opportunity to knock you off and it was like you never existed. You know, so one of the greatest forms of protection is not patents. It's licensing to a big company that blows it out there in a big way because that's what they do fast and hard, faster and harder than you ever could if you're trying to sell it yourself. So that's just a little side note. Um, Charles says thank you, Andrew. You're welcome, Charles. Um, let's see. Um, D- Daryl, is it Daryl? Sorry, let put on my glasses, but I'm not going to do that. Have is it safe to show your PPA to potential licensees? Can we show our field? ppa to anyone i'm not going to give you legal advice there it is a very strategic time to show your ppa and most of the time you're redirecting the conversation to talk about the freaking product because they're not interested in your patent they're they're not you're not selling your patent. you're not selling a prototype you're selling the benefit of the product so let's talk about that guys let's talk about the product and so when you redirect that it's like if you guys are thinking that the first thing you're going to do when a company shows interest, they're going to look at your patent or PPA, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it really wrong and you're going down the wrong path and you're going to hurt your chances to move that forward towards a deal. If that's the direction you're going. Now they'll bring it that direction sometimes, but sometimes they're literally, like literally half the time when a company our negotiation coach, Paul has told me this half the time when a company says we want to see your patent or ppa when you don't and then you schedule a phone call with them and you talk to them they don't even bring it up they didn't know how to start the conversation you know it's not like these marketing managers and companies are just licensing a product one day and oh two weeks later licensing another product it's like, they're not licensing products like left and right every other day maybe the company's done eight licensing deals but the guy that likes your product the marketing manager He's never done a licensing deal. He doesn't know what he's doing. So with our guidance, you'll always, you'll always look like you know what you're doing, and you'll be able to guide them. And people are surprised by that. And I've said this several times in this Q and that you're more responsible for guiding them than they are you. And to be reactive and just give them whatever they want, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense sometimes, but a lot of times it does not. And if you don't know how to guide them, you won't get those deals on the table. You'll get them on the table, and they'll just kind of dissipate off into nothing. Um to do, do, do so you know sometimes people some people are talking about invention promotion companies versus invent right so invention promotion companies they say you don't have to do anything, you have a lump of coal, most of the ones that that have talk to inventors like. You have a lump of coal they're going to tell you it's great no matter what it is you don't have to do anything give us 10 12 grand we'll do it and then you know we'll just do it and we'll let you know i've never talked to an inventor that ever licensed anything that way our students are licensing things all the time you know why because the work is actually getting done you got to kind of wonder like if you're paying some invention promotion company to license the product for you why do they why is nobody licensing stuff over there because they're it's not really happening they're not really doing the work our students and our coaches are guiding the students to do work. And then our negotiation coach, Paul, is guiding them to properly close the deal. Our students are in the game and they're doing the work. They're getting out of their daydreaming, make a million dollars overnight crap, and they're actually showing it to companies. And yes, there's products. Um, I have some here on the shelf, this, this whiskey wedge right here, right there. Um, over time, that's making more than a million dollars in royalties, without a doubt. Um, Do all products do that? No. You know, but so what? You know, if you're in this, most inventors that I talk to, they're not in it just for the money. They have a passion for inventing and they want to make money. That's a killer combo. And it's a total cliche, but you do what you love, the money will come. But if if you guys insist on trying to find companies that say they're going to do it all for you, Invention promotion companies, the Federal Trade Commission warns against them, the Patent Office warns against them, if you want to go against all these recommendations in the track history and go, well, I don't really want to do the work, I'm just this really bright inventor and I just want somebody to do it for me, you're in for a world of hurt. If you're not willing to do the work to approach companies, you're not an inventor, you're a person with ideas. You're not a business person. You got to take the step from being a person with ideas to be a person that gets them out there. Caleb earlier was talking about how he got his first couple ideas out. Great, he's done more than most inventors will ever do. Most inventors will file patents and do prototypes and they won't show it to anybody. And if they do show it to somebody, it's like two or three people and some with a terrible presentation approached them in the wrong way, did everything wrong. And they're like, oh, I tried, but it didn't work. I'm like, you didn't try. You didn't try unless you reached out to like thirty companies. You didn't if you if you assumed your marketing materials were good when they weren't. You didn't try. If your list of companies is too short, you didn't try. Um, you're you're making all sorts of assumptions on how it goes. So, Caleb, great job, man, and everybody else that's reaching out to companies. You're in the game, and some of you guys aren't ready for that yet. And I get that. Maybe you're new to this, and you're like, I need more information. So keep watching our YouTube channel. If you wanna get coached by us, go to inventright.com and learn more about how we can coach and mentor you. And, but get to a point where you feel comfortable. You need to feel comfortable. I'm not saying like just throw your stuff out there tomorrow when you don't know what a good sell sheet is, you don't know how to make your list of companies, you don't know how to do your market research, you don't know how to file a PPA. You need to learn how to do these things. None of these things are overwhelming. I have had quite a few students that didn't have a GED. They didn't have the equivalent of a high school degree and they were able to do it just fine. Sometimes and you guys will. This is a trippy little note. Sometimes I find that um, the housewife is a way better invent rights student than a former CEO. Let's say it's a former, they're CEO of a big company, some company, and they're retired now. And the CEO is like, I know how to do this, Andrew. I know. Blah, blah. No, you don't. You 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 know how to do business. You have experience in business, but you never done licensing. You don't know what you're doing. You're being arrogant, you know. And then the housewife who gets shit done every day, you know, and just it's following the direction of the coach and they're getting it out, they're getting it in front of companies and she licenses it before the former CEO. So don't ever feel like you need all these special skills. You need the know-how, you need to know how to do stuff, but anybody can do licensing. You don't need to be super smart. You need to be not lazy. You need to listen to instructions and you need to take action every week. I tell our new students, they say, you need to spend two to six hours a week every week. You need to make it part of your routine. You do not need to dump everything else you're doing with licensing because you're not starting a business. You're going to put that all fall onto them. But I would much rather have one of our students consistently spending four hours a week than going crazy one week and not doing anything for three. I haven't found that works well. So whether you're a student of ours or not, Every week you need to put the time in, I would say two to six hours a week. If you have more time and you've been between careers and you go, Andrew, I wanna spend 20, you know, great, fantastic. But when you go get a job or something like that, if you're in between careers, I'm just giving a random example, make sure you're maintaining that four hours a week because it'll start to sink in, you'll start to get these different experiences. The other thing that I'm gonna say is gonna be helpful is I get non right students, they experience one thing with one company and now they assume it's like that with all the companies. Please don't do that. Please don't. I mean, we've been doing this for 21 years. We've had students in 65 countries. I mean, if we had, if we had, if each student was reaching out to an average of 30 companies, can you imagine the sample size of experience that we have? And, and I'm telling you, don't like experience one thing once and then assume it's a blanket. Oh, this is how all companies are gonna treat me, right? Or it's how it's always gonna go. Please don't do that. Okay. So watch our videos. Um Book appointment with us if you wanna learn more about coaching, like our videos, subscribe, click the reminder notification, watch a bunch of our YouTube videos. We have a ton of great YouTube videos, guys. If you guys are new, watch a bunch of our YouTube videos. I have people that say like their spouse walked in and they're like, who you been watching for the last five hours? Oh, these right guys, right what? What are you, you've been watching for five hours, come have some dinner, you know? So um, it's good stuff. It's gonna be repetitive. You might see a video Stephen did and I did videos kind of similar. Hey, it's free, but it's really good stuff. And You will not hear us pitching our coaching in there every two minutes. You'll hear us referring to our students quite frequently, but we're not gonna be constantly pitching you um, on stuff. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, let's see. Thank you, Carl. Carl said, thanks Andrew, keep up the good work. Happy new year, carry on the best is yet to come, I agree. Thank you, for this is amazing information. That was um, Dilworth, Ms. Dilworth. So um, I just wanna thank you guys. Um, I'll be back next Monday. Watch your videos. It's gonna be a great 2022, it really is, I think. I mean, despite all the weird stuff that's happened over the last two years with the economy and COVID and all that, our students are licensing just as much as ever. Um, so it's a great time to be licensing without a doubt, don't do, don't hesitate for a second. Companies have an insatiable appetite for new products. It doesn't matter that there's supply chain issues. They need new products. If they don't come out with them, their competitors will, and they won't be able to be competitive with their competitors. Any company that's not looking for new products now is a company that is going to die. Unless they're just so big, they're the mega, mega, mega biggest, and then maybe they'll they'll do okay. But companies need your products. They need you. You guys have a skill that they don't have. Corporate America does not stimulate creativity all the time. There are corporations that are very creative and have creative products. Don't get me wrong. They do great products. But but you have something they don't have. Do not undervalue what you have. But also don't be lazy and push yourself outside your comfort zone. You cannot just come up with ideas and not work on them. What we are guiding you to do is a thousandths of the work starting your own business, making, selling yourself, but it's still work. You still have to do the work to get it out to companies. And then you're dumping the whole thing on them and it's their money, their workforce and their existing distribution. So whenever, keep that in mind. And the licensing business model is amazing. It's so low risk. You don't have to mortgage your house and home. You don't have to put your family at risk. You don't have to get all stressed out because you spent 15K on a patent, 5,000 on a prototype, and God knows how much hiring a bunch of employees. You don't need to worry about that sort of thing. So I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys.